Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Next week, I'll come back uh, through the series in the book of Revelation. I'll come back to that next Sunday morning. But I've, man, I've loved going through Jonah these last uh, now four weeks. And I hope you've been, many of you have been in a life group. And I hope your life group and the worship service together have really been strong for you. And the Lord wants to teach us these lessons about Jonah. You may remember the first week we were, we were reminded of the danger of running from God and how we have that tendency to run from God. And maybe you found yourself on occasion running from God and uh, God, you can't outrun him. And Jonah, uh, Jonah found himself in some real problems. And then the second week we were reminded of returning to God, how we can always come back, how God gives us second chances and how God loves us still and how the circumstances of life, sometimes God will use the belly of a great fish as a means of teaching us, of helping us to see the bigger picture. And God used that in the story of Jonah. And then last week we talked about revival from God and how God does some amazing work and God will send his awakening uh, even when we don't deserve it. And there's something powerful about turning to God and trusting him. And this week we want to talk about uh, responding to God, responding like God responds. And let's go to Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to read beginning with verse 1. Last week we ended with God uh, sparing, relenting from the disaster on Nineveh and in response to their, uh, re- to their repentance, God forgave. And now let's pick up in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. The Bible says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious And he prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. And he made, a sh- made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over him, over Jonah, to provide shade for his head, to rescue him from his trouble. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. And when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between the right and the left, as well as many animals. Well, let's note some lessons this, this morning about responding like God. And really, all the chapters of Jonah have been leading to this kind of climax in our understanding. God wanted Nineveh to understand, and God wanted Jonah to understand, and God wanted Israel to understand, and God wants O'Fallon to understand, and God wants you to understand and me to understand to learn to respond like he responds. And so I've got two basic principles I want you to get with me, two ways that we might respond. Number one, beware a man-centered response. And I'm going to distinguish here, if you'll write that down, I'm going to distinguish between a man-centered response and the kind of response that God wants. 
and in a man-centered response. We're going to see that in the life of Jonah. We'll see a little of how he responds and how God deals with him because of that. And we're going to be reminded how easy it is for us to respond with sort of a self-centered, selfish perspective and to really focus on what we want and like instead of on what God wants on a God-centered response. I spoke uh, Thursday night to our YA ministry. YAs stand for young adults. They're primarily, primarily in their 20s and most of them unmarried. And that ministry, man, I love that ministry. I love what God's doing in that ministry. We've got a really strong core of leaders there and new people who come every week. And um, I just, I'm, I'm delighted to see that Thursday night they meet for a worship service. And I, I got to speak to them this week. And I, and I talked to them about a verse that God's been dealing with me, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I, it talks about really kind of this subject. It says that we are not to be conformed. Do not be conformed to this age to this world, to this culture. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, when we're conformed to this age, what we're in effect doing is having a man-centered approach. A man looks at this world through the lens of our culture, and we have a tendency to see things much as Jonah did. Let's note four aspects of this man-centered response from Jonah, and maybe the Lord would use it in our own lives. Number one, it promotes anger. One aspect of a sort of man-centered approach to life, a man-centered response, is to promote anger. And we see that in verse 1. The Bible says, Jonah was greatly displeased that as God forgave Nineveh, remember Assyria was a nation that was uh, in battle often with Israel, and when God forgave them, Jonah was not happy. The Bible says he was greatly displeased, not a little displeased, greatly displeased. And we don't know all the details. Maybe his uncle had been in a battle with Assyria back in the old days, and maybe he'd limped ever since. I don't know. Maybe Jonah had just been upset because of the wickedness of Assyria or because they had been involved in idolatry. Maybe he felt his, uh, of himself as superior to them. I, I, who knows? But for whatever reason, he did not enjoy seeing them repent and even more, he hated the fact that God forgave their repentance. And so the Bible says Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Not just a little angry, but furious. Or in verse 9, the Bible says, God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. He said that right out loud to God. We might think it, but he said it to God. That's how angry he was with the circumstances. And anger is like a and it can be like a bitterness, a cancer in our lives. There's a righteous kind of anger, but we often experience anger in something very different than that. And it can sort of be like a little splinter that gets in your thumb. You ever had a splinter? And if you don't take care of it, sometimes it'll get infected, and then it'll hurt more and more and just cause so much trouble. That little splinter just gets worse and worse until you have to, I don't know, cut your thumb off, your arm off or something to deal with it. That's how anger can be. A little bit of anger, a little bit more animosity, building and building. And pretty soon, Jonah's sort of shaking his fist at God and saying, it's right for me to be angry, God. I don't like what you've done and how you're doing it, and I'd rather be dead than alive. And maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe that's the way you grew up. You just grew up in a household that dealt with everything through anger. Or maybe that's your personality to some extent, your personality 
lends itself to anger easily or maybe you've just thought it was okay and appropriate and you've just let it build and build and build and I just tell you anger and unforgiveness are just these painful aspects of life that can get worse and worse and you'll find yourself if you're not careful like Jonah greatly displeased like Jonah becoming furious like Jonah shaking your fist at God was the second aspect of a man-centered response and that is it justifies sin it justifies sin so Jonah said, um, verse 2, the Bible says he prayed to the Lord. That's a good thing, right? He prayed to the Lord. And he said, please, Lord. Very polite young man. Please, Lord, he said. Isn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward, uh, fled toward Tarshish in the first place. God, he's saying, listen, I know what we said back in chapter 1. Like, you didn't like that too much. And I remember the fish a little bit. But God... Don't you see, it was sort of justified. It was sort of justified. Because that's kind of how we treat sin sometimes. Uh, first we say it's no big deal, not that big a deal. And then we justify it. In my case, you know, here's why. It's not really, I'm not really at fault, God. It's really more your fault. And then pretty soon we say sin isn't sin at all. It's not sin at all. And we just redefine it or take it away or remove it. But God... God always asks us to deal with sin in the right way, to acknowledge it, to turn from it. When uh, Calvin Coolidge was president of the United States, he was an unusual politician in that he didn't say much. That's unusual for a politician. That's a, normally politicians say a lot. Have you ever noticed that about politicians? Calvin Coolidge was an exception. He didn't say very much. And um, one time he went on a, while he was president, he went to a church service on a Sunday morning and he came back and one of his aides or someone said to him, Mr. President, um, how, was the, how was the service? And he said something like, fine. He said, well, what did the pastor preach about? And Coolidge said, sin. And the guy said, well, like, but what about sin? And Coolidge said, I think he was against it, he said. I think he was against it. And maybe for sin, maybe you're a little bit like Jonah. Well, not that big a deal. Not really my fault anyway. And pretty soon, sin's not even sinful at all. And God just deals with it head on. So whatever it is that you've said, that's no, it's not a big deal. And uh, by the way, if you're going to blame anyone, God, I mean, who's the one who gave me this family background? And who's the one who put me in these, allowed me to face these circumstances? And, you know, my personality is not just of my own making. I mean, you have something to do with that as well, Lord. And pretty soon we find ourselves justifying sin, much like Jonah. Number three, a man-centered response chafes at God's character. And verse two is just, it's fascinating to me. Because Jonah is going to say here what is accurate about God's character he just doesn't like it very much. What he says about God is right. He just doesn't like that it's right. Here's what he says in verse 2. I knew, this is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Now, isn't that right? God is a gracious God. That is, God gives grace. That is, he loves us, though we don't deserve it. God is a gracious God. God is a compassionate God. God shows compassion to us. Jonah said, you're slow to anger. 
You don't fly off the handle. You don't get angry for no reason. You give second chances. He said you're abounding in faithful love. I mean, God, you just drip with faithful love. It's all over you and anyone around you uh, feels something of the spillage from your faithful love. That's who you are. And you're one who relents from sending disaster. That's who you are. God, that's the way you are. I just don't like it very much. I don't like it very much. Because I don't think those folks in Nineveh deserve that. I don't think they should get your grace. And I don't think you should be, you should be so compassionate towards them. And you've been way too slow to anger when it comes to the nation of Assyria. And God, I think you're making a mistake here to be abounding in faithful love and relenting from sending disaster. And that's how Jonah felt when it came to Nineveh. I bet that's not how Jonah felt when it came to him. I bet Jonah appreciated the grace of God when it came to his life. I bet he was glad God was abounding in faithful love when it came to his children or to his grandchildren. That was different. That was different. Vance Havner, the old evangelist, said, you can be as theologically straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. And what he was saying was, you could be right about truth, and we ought to be right about truth. We ought to care about what the Bible teaches. We ought to care about the character of God and what God says about this world. We ought to care about truth. But Jonah was willing to give God his head. God, this is who you are. But he wasn't willing to give God his heart. He wasn't willing to give God his heart. And so it chafed. He chafed under the thought that God would forgive the people who did not deserve forgiveness. The people who had done wrong. The people like Nineveh, Assyria. Oh, by the way, the people like Israel and the people like Jonah and the people like O'Fallon and the people like you and me. And then notice the fourth man-centered response. It's emotionally fragile. It's emotionally fragile. In verse 3, the Bible says, and now, Jonah said, and now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I think we'd say uh, Jonah was triggered here. Is that how we say it? He's triggered. He said, Lord, I, I would rather die than live. If that's how you're going to be, and if that's what you're going to do, well, I am offended by that. And I'm offended by what you have done here and how you've acted and your loving kindness, your relenting from disaster. God, I much, would much rather have had something else. And so he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says in verse 4, the Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? It's a great question. Is it right for you to be angry? And the Bible says Jonah does not apparently answer the question. Instead, in verse 5, Jonah left the city, found a place east of it, made a shelter there, and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Maybe he thought, God will change his mind, and God will zap them after all, and if that happens, I want to see it. And if they get what they deserve, I want a front row seat. I want to watch what happens, because maybe God will just give them exactly what they deserve. And he's a little bit, just that emotionally fragile um, soul, much like 
much like you see, if you go to a store, it's not uncommon for you to see some child just throw a fit. Have you ever seen a child just throw a fit at a store? Maybe a parent says you can't have something, they want something, and the parent says you can't have it, and they just throw a temper tantrum. Have you seen that? Do you know why they do that? Do you know why children do that? One is because we're all born with a bent towards sin. We have this brokenness from deep within. We all have that bent towards sin. And a second reason is because it works with some parents. And because it works, parents... Uh, give in and then they find themselves giving in and giving in and pretty soon they're creating their own little monster so to speak and they get more of what they don't want to get that's the story of Jonah just I am going to throw a fit I'm going to hold my breath God until you send this disaster on them I can't believe you would care about this I'm triggered by what you've done this offends me that you would forgive Nineveh who has done so much wrong in the past. I'm not going to forgive. Though you may be forgiving, I'm not forgiving. Though you may have grace, I'm not going to have grace. Though, though you may care about them, I'm not going to care about them. And we find ourselves much like what I said to the YAs Thursday night where the world is just pressing its thumb against us. We're being conformed to the image of this world. We begin to think like the world thinks and act like the world acts. And then the Lord says, but I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let's go to a second response. And that is to adopt a God-centered response. Instead of a man-centered response, what if it was a God-centered response? And the Lord really is using this story, this book of the Bible, to teach Jonah and Israel and Nineveh and O'Fallon and you and me more of what it means to respond as he responds. So let's note four things about a God-centered response. Number one, it recognizes undeserved blessings. In verse six, the Lord's gonna use an example of an undeserved blessing to teach. Verse six says, the Lord God appointed a plant. There's that word appoint. You may remember, God appointed a fish back in chapter one, and now he's going to make several appointments here of a plant and a worm and an east wind. The Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So God just gives a blessing that Jonah doesn't even deserve. Jonah doesn't do anything to get it. Jonah just sitting there, minding his own business. But it's summertime. It's hot. It's uh, the desert. Assyria is a hot place. And so up comes a plant. And it provides shade. And that's, there's something wonderful about shade. It won't be long till we will stop complaining about how cold it is and we'll start complaining about how hot it is. That's not far away for us. And we'll just, on a day like that, a little bit of shade is so wonderful. And Jonah just appreciated that. It brought him some relief. He liked it. He didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not like he planted it. It's not like he cared for it. God provided the blessing. God-centered response recognizes that God has blessed us in many ways. God blessed Nineveh. God blessed Jonah. Maybe Jonah sort of forgot about the blessings of God. Maybe he forgot what a blessing it was to grow up in a region where he could easily hear about the things of God, where he could learn right and wrong right there at the temple, right there from God's Word. Maybe he forgot how God had blessed him with so many material blessings and how God had provided for him and for his family. Maybe he lost sight of that. It happens to many. And so when he saw God blessing Nineveh, he said, they don't deserve it. As though he did. Assyria doesn't deserve it. As though Israel did. 
And we might say, look at those people out there. They don't deserve God's blessing. And that's accurate. They don't. Nor do we in here. Nor do we. But a God-centered response begins to recognize the blessings God has given. And I tell you, God has blessed you in so many ways. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten how easy it is to get a copy of God's Word for yourself? Have you forgotten how easy it is for you to gather with others in worship? To open God's Word, hear God's Word proclaimed, study God's Word with others? Have you forgotten the blessings God has provided to you, to our nation? Have you forgotten to say thank you, to recognize those things as though you deserved all of that? As though you had done something that made those things somehow your just dessert? A God-centered response recognizes undeserved blessings. Number two, it learns God's lessons. It learns God's lessons. Let's go to verse 7. Really, verses 6, 7, and 8, God sort of does an object lesson here. Verse, in verse 7, the Bible says, When dawn came the next day, Jonah, of course, was greatly pleased with the plant, all the shade it provided. And when dawn came the next day, God appointed, there's that word again, he appointed a worm this time. It was a plant that grew, and now he appointed a worm. And that worm, at God's command, attacked the plant, and it withered. Verse 8, as the sun was rising. So it's not so bad at night, but now the sun comes up. God appointed a scorching east wind. The heat coming off the desert caused the circumstances to be difficult. God often uses circumstances. Did you know that? Maybe some of you are facing a scorching east wind right now in your life. Maybe you're having some, maybe some financial problems and difficulties. Might God teach you some lessons through that? Maybe you have some physical issues. Couldn't God teach you some lessons through that? Maybe you have some broken relationship problem. Maybe some fellowship, some relationship issues. And God would use those circumstances, whether that was caused directly by you or just the result of living in a fallen world. God would use those circumstances to teach you, to mold you, to correct you. And God, in this case, took a spoiled, self-centered prophet and said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And so I'm going to have a plant grow. I'm going to have a worm attack. I'm going to have a scorching east wind. An object lesson. When I, um, when I was first called to ministry, I was serving in a in a church during my college time. I was serving in my home church, and I was teaching the children's worship time, preaching to children. And I, I was not a very good preacher. I use past tense here. Some people in the earlier service suggested that I should bring that the present tense, but I'm just going to stay with past tense. Just it's easier in my heart to say past tense. I was not a very good preacher then. And so sometimes I would do an object lesson. And an object lesson was a great way to get the kids' attention. And sometimes they would just learn in a different way, and they would remember those object lessons. I noticed some of the life group teachers for our children's classes today use some object lessons. There's something about that that can get our attention. And God said, all right, how can I teach this Jonah? He's, I've given him the Bible. He's heard uh, messages about who you are. Now I'm going to use an object lesson, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide a plant that he's, not, he's done nothing to earn, and then I'm going to appoint a worm to take that away, and then I'm going to remind him through the circumstances of the east wind. And God wanted him to learn some lessons. Can I just tell you something? 
God is a teaching God, and he wants you to learn lessons. And one of the opportunities we have right this day is to learn the lesson of Jonah. But perhaps you'll need an object lesson. And maybe God will have to use circumstances in your life to remind you, to teach you. Maybe he'll use this broken world and the broken things in this world to help you to see who he is and what he cares about and what matters. God wants you to learn. Learn from his word. You don't don't just have to learn from experience yourself. You can learn from the experience of others. But a God-centered response is always learning God's lessons. God, what is it you want to teach me? God, what is the lesson you have for me? God, help me to see what you want me to learn from this great book of the Bible. There's a third principle I want you to note. A God-centered response challenges wrong attitudes. So let's go back to verse 8. The Bible says, As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted. He was about to get heat stroke. And he wanted to die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And then God asked Jonah a question. It's the second time he's asked this. Is it right? Is it right? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And sometimes God just asks us that question. Is it right? I mean, I know it's easy for you, but is it right? I know what everyone else is doing, but is this right? I know it's what you've always done, but is it right? I know this is what is common in your world, but is it right? I know this is what other people are doing, but is it right? And Jonah, in his anger, said, yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. And God was just challenging here the wrong attitude of this spoiled prophet. He said, I want you to learn some lessons about a wrong attitude. Vicki and I were watching an old movie recently. And in the old movie, there was a like grumpy old man and a grumpy old woman. And I said to Vicky, let's not, let's just not become grumpy old people. Let's just, you, you see that sometimes. Let's just not be grumpy old people. And Vicky was too kind to say it, but she might have thought it. Thankfully, she didn't say, too late. I'm glad she didn't say that. Too late. Because listen, there's always this danger. You've seen it, right? Haven't you seen other people who, the longer they live, the grumpier they get? How bad circumstances lead them to just to see only the bad in life, who never appreciate the blessings, who never are thankful for, for what they've been given. God just wanted to deal with this, with this prophet with a wrong attitude. And maybe you see something of yourself in that life of Jonah. It's not too late. It's not too late. God is reminding you to change those wrong attitudes. Maybe your spirit toward others has been very much like Jonah. Maybe you've only seen the bad and the negative. Maybe complaint has been the common way in your life. You know, it sort of is what is modeled for us. Social media is a, you get more hits if you're angry and upset and mad and complaining than if you are encouraging or helpful. And maybe God is reminding you through this message, through the life of a spoiled prophet, that, that, that we have that same danger, that we can end up with the same wrong attitude. Is it right, God said? Is it right? And I ask you, is your spirit right before God? Is it right? Is your heart, your attitude? I didn't, I didn't ask. I, you might say, well, but here's the reasons why. And you might, like Jonah, argue with God. God, here's why my attitude is wrong, and it's okay. 
But is it right? And then number four, a God-centered response has godly compassion. In many ways, all of the book of Jonah has been pointing to this last section of the book of the Bible. The Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? Should I not care, Jonah, about the animals that I created? Should I not care about 120,000 people who can't discern right from wrong? Should I not care? Should I not have more compassion for them than you had for this plant that lived and died in one night? In a few minutes, we'll have a groundbreaking for our next building. I think we'll call it, end up calling it the South Gym. There's a Highway 50 is toward the south of us, and we've got the North Gym, and maybe that's the way we'll end up phrasing it in the future. But we're about to go break ground for those of you who want to go and participate. And why would we build another building, and why would we go to that much trouble and, and work and effort and expense? Why would we do that? It's not, it's not because we don't have enough to do otherwise. There's plenty to do. But it's because there's something in the heart of God. And I don't know why exactly. Because I'm a lot more like Jonah than I'd like to admit. But there's something in the heart of God that cares about the next generation. Did you know that? Not just your generation, but the next one. There's something in the heart of God that cares about people who aren't here yet. Not just people who are here. Couldn't Jonah have said, God, why would you care about Nineveh? Why would you care about Nineveh? Don't you see all the problems in Israel? Don't you see all the needs in Israel? And yet, for some reason, God in heaven cared about them. And we could say, God, there are plenty of problems right here. Shouldn't we just focus on ourselves, the ones who are already here? But there's something in the heart of God that says, I care about people who aren't here yet. And can I tell you something? At some point, that was you. If you've come to know Christ as Savior, you did so because there came a day where you recognized that you were a sinner and you were separated from God by your sin. And you found that God is a compassionate, grace-filled God who would forgive you of your sins, who would change your heart and life. And if you were saved, it happened because you recognized you needed the Lord and you turned to Him and for salvation and he saved you and he brought you in and the reason we care about the one lost sheep is because that used to be us and because that lost sheep matters deeply to the heart of God and very often we end up if we're not careful like Jonah saying God man you see all those sinners out there man, why don't you just couldn't you just zap them once good for me you know, couldn't I just enjoy seeing some vengeance on them? And then you see this heart of God that said, just as I loved you when you didn't deserve it. That's who I am. And that's who I want you to be. And church, let's have the heart of God. I want us to have the head of God. I want us to be accurate in theology, to care about the things God cares about, to be Bible-based. We say in our church, we're outreach-oriented. We're going to care about people who aren't here yet. And that smacks 
in the face of the prophet's wrong heart. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves forgetting that God wants people who are lost to come to know him as Savior. Some of you are here today because God cared about you and he brought you to this place where you would hear this truth that Jesus died for you. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, rose from the grave. And if you will repent of your sins and place your trust in Christ, you will be saved. God brought you to hear that message. Today, you can repent of your sin and give your life to Christ and be saved. And I'm going to ask you today to give your life to him. Some of you are here today because you were saved by the Lord Jesus, but he wanted to remind you that he cares about the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people in your family and the people in your neighborhood. That he wants you to be a witness for them, for, for him, uh, to them. That he wants you to care about them and love them. I want to ask you to say yes to him. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? As we pray, if you don't know Christ as Savior today, would you give your life to Christ? Christian, would you say, God, give me a heart for people who aren't here yet? Help me to love people who are lost. And Father, I thank you for this story. So powerful to teach us this book of Jonah, to teach us lessons that we so need. But we find ourselves very often much like Jonah, much like that prophet, caring about ourselves, thankful for the grace we have, but not much concerned about whether anyone else experienced that or not. Give us a new heart. Help us to love like you love. Help our church to love like you love. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.